0: This idea of Mr. Wright, remember, which is a stupid idea, right? Right. And then all I don't know where he shows up, like some dream or something. Who? Mr. Wright. All right. And then the crazy thing is, is that I've seen him twice now, and both times he's wearing these goggles. I don't even know who he is. Mr. Wright. Right. Right. Don't you think that's kind of weird?
1: Who and welcome to '80s movie montage. This is Derek.
0: And this is Anna.
1: And yeah, that's...
0: uh, I mean, how could she possibly know who it is he has goggles on?
1: It's a little weird. (laughs) It's a little weird that you're both sitting there and uh, you didn't know it was him.
0: (laughs) Didn't know. I mean, like we were saying with our guest, Casey, it's the Clark Kent effect.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's better than than that because uh, maybe the goggles are obscure. He's more covered
0: up. Yeah. Yeah in
1: Greece 2 Greece the sequel 2
0: yeah the sequel yeah this one was so fun and as we talk about with our guest and returning guest for that matter Casey yes this is the first time ever that we've actually like pre-watched the movie with our guest
1: yeah that was that was It was fun. It was amazing. It It really was so fun. It it let us see things in the movie that that Casey was able to point out to us. Yes, Casey
0: in particular was able to point out things to us that we didn't know about.
1: We'll certainly talk about some of that stuff later. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And on a side note, do you know what this episode is? No. This is our now I should probably be a little bit better about this because I missed 50, but this is our 60th episode, Derek.
1: Okay, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. That's
1: uh, I look, there are a lot of movies, 60 and there's still a ton more.
0: That's what I was thinking about. I was like, wow, we've done so many great movies, but there's still so many more to go. So, we could literally do this for years. <laughs> So let's dive into this one. All right, Greece, 2, 1982, mm-hmm. so earlier in the decade, and I'm trying to think here. Okay, so not too long ago, we did Little Shop of Horrors. That was the first film I think we've done where it was adapted from a musical. This is, so to speak, the second one. <laughs> uh, what,
1: was it adapted from a musical, or...?
0: Yeah, I mean the original Grease was, yeah, 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 and and that does come into play a little bit with Casey. I think it's kind of hard to. I mean, this is like a a oddball kind of movie because we're doing a sequel for a film that first premiered in the seventies. So technically speaking, we can't. It won't cover be the that, first but. time that we do that. Correct. Yeah, yeah, we already help. have some more lined up. Yeah, uh, but. Yes, this is the original Grease was adapted from a musical, which was created by two gentlemen. And that's why I'm bringing them up, because as far as like writer credits, Mm. they're credited Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey. And so for this particular film, they get a character's credit. I'm guessing because there are returning characters from the original. So you have to make that connection.
1: You have the... the you know, school administration gotta make sure that they're here yes. for continuity. Yes. You got um Frenchie. Uh, Frenchie who dropped out and then joined back up to run a uh, a cosmetics lab out of the chemistry. Department. Yeah.
0: Especially, like I love how on the first day of school she's like heavy into mixing up her concoctions with <laughs> I just feel like that wouldn't happen, but in any case, it was wild. Yeah. So Jacobson Casey, as far as their credits go, like writing credits, everything is grease. Okay. So we have grease. We have, and I love these different variants of the same property. Essentially, we have a TV, then three TV movies. We have first musical grease mm-hmm. exclamation point, then we have grease live exclamation point and then we have greece colon the musical not to be confused
1: with musical greece or greece based on the original musical yes got
0: it we have all of these all these different iterations but like i mentioned they're music guys and so most of the credits they have through imdb specifically are soundtrack so for jacobs we have 93 of them okay Not going to go through them. Oh. But, and then for Warren Case, we have 94. So he beats out his partner by like one extra credit. I did not go through to figure out which one of them. You think they're keeping
1: score and they just like.
0: I doubt it. I I feel like you have close to 100 credits in IMDb and like, you know, they're pretty solid collaborators. So in any case. All right. So. Those are two of our three writers that are credited. The final is Ken Finkelman. Mm-hmm. So he has the written by, and he's more, I don't want to say like legit screenwriter. He just is more so in that world than the other two. And among some of his other credits, we have Airplane 2, the sequel. So another sequel.
1: There, there's been a lot of Airplane 2 discussion uh, related mm-hmm. to this Grease 2 and I think Airplane Two, it's it's okay, it's all right. Okay, it's still fun. It's still, <laughs> it's you know, you're watching an airplane movie. Resounding
0: endorsement. Yeah, it
1: was William <laughs> Shatnery landing on the moon. It's it's uh, if if uh, Grease Two is is someone's guilty pleasure, I I accept that because I think Airplane Two is one of mine. Okay. Fewer musical fair, numbers.
0: Fair enough. He also has a credit for Head Office. Uh, another Madonna movie we just did, Desperately Seeking Susan. He has a credit for Who's That Girl. Okay. And then as far as TV goes, he wa- he's he been the creator on several TV series. So he was the creator and wrote for The Newsroom, creator and wrote on Good Dog, and creator and wrote on Good God with God. <laughs> 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 so that's Ken Finkelman. Okay moving on to direction uh we have another female director cool. two in a row so here we have Patricia Birch this is actually her feature film directorial debut and it we talk well I don't know if we talked about this with Casey when we we're actually with Casey or when we did our segment with him but it makes sense why she was the director for this film. I mean, there's so many really elaborate musical numbers. I would say, I would argue that this movie
1: is nothing if not a series of overly elaborate music
0: portions. <laughs> Which makes sense because she really has made her mark in the industry as a choreographer.
1: That does make sense because I I feel like the choreography in Greece 2... In some ways surpassed the original.
0: I agree. I mean, it's interesting too because in the original Grease, I feel like the musical numbers really spotlight the the actual characters that we're following in the film. Like yeah. everybody else is like much more so in the background. Whereas I feel with this film, it was more of a group kind of effort where now, these characters that we're following, yes, they are part of these numbers, but all the extras are more front and center than I think they were in the original.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's there's always that spotlight on the stars, but I think you're right, where like a lot of the other characters, like background characters, get a little bit more of an opportunity to shine during mm-hmm. the dance numbers, which, again, there are several of.
0: Mm-hmm. So as far as Birch's credits go, now specifically director- like directing credits, not a lot. Uh, mostly music videos, and of those music videos, Cyndi Lauper music videos. <laughs> okay. So she's the director on Money Changes Everything, as well as True Colors. Now, just because she had so few directing credits, I did kind of step out of her that world, and to list a couple choreography credits. That's fair. So as far as those go, we have a little Night Music. She was the choreographer on the original Grease, so she already had a connection to the franchise. She was the choreographer on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. The Beatles. Such a mouthful. Uh, So she pulled Double Duty, On this movie because she was the director and then obviously she was the choreographer. That makes sense. So Yeah. So she did both. She also has done choreography on Saturday Night Live, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, that's,
1: that's, uh, is there a lot of dancing on Saturday Night Live? I don't know.
0: I mean, I guess some of the numbers veer into that. At times, like I'm kind of thinking of ones like old school with like Steve Martin, but I can't say with certainty that that was like the time. I don't have a timestamp on Hold when on she was second. working. Did
1: she uh, do the choreography for the Blues Brothers?
0: I think I would have had that down had that been the case. Damn. I don't think that that's... Actually I do think maybe they just made it up as they went along. <laughs> she did choreography on several more movies, big Sleeping with the Enemy, which does not at all seem to be a film that it's been I think a very long time since I've watched that movie, so I don't remember. Sleeping with the Enemy. Yeah.
1: I think that is historically known for its choreography so. <laughs>
0: Billy Bathgate North The First Wives Club The Remake the 2004 remake of The Statford Wives and then more recently the TV series Boardwalk Empire. Okay. Okay, so moving on to cinematography by the gentle- by a gentleman the name of Frank Stanley. So, among his work uh, a lot of TV movies. So I think that's maybe where his bread and butter was, but he did work on several different films. Did you ever read the book in school a separate piece no oh man it no, is it sounds hilarious
1: what it's about is it
0: it's a real heavy movie uh or book and so they adapted it into a film and he was a uh, cinematographer on that okay so he has a credit for that uh another <laughs> book adaptation tom sawyer oh he no this has to be more your thing isn't uh clint eastwood and magnum force
1: he is. It's one of the many Dirty Harry movies. It might be the second one or third one.
0: So he's the DP on that. So,
1: okay, yeah. It's one of it's one of the uh, Dirty Harry films.
0: Okay. As well as Car Wash. I love the title of this film. A hero ain't nothing but a sandwich.
1: Wow. I mean, yeah. That's right. That checks out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was good. Uh, the movie 10. This one keeps... Coming through, for some reason, he was the DP on The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. (laughs) I don't know why that movie keeps coming up as much as it does. I don't
1: know why it comes up so often, but I think, repeatedly, I ask myself, are we happy with what this fish did?
0: (laughs) And so that, uh, yeah, sna- snapshot of Mr. Frank Stanley's work.
1: Since you highlighted Magnum Force, I'll bring sure. up two other Clint Eastwood movies that he was the DP on.
0: Oh, <laughs> did I?
1: Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Okay. Which was not a, neither of these are uh, Dirty Harry movies, but Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, which was an interesting one. And then the Iger Sanction, where he is... I don't know if he's, like, a spy or an agent trying to catch someone while they're climbing a mountain.
0: Okay. I wonder if then possibly there was, like, some kind of friendship. There are interesting movies, yeah. Eastwood, if he just happened... Like, that seems like more than a coincidence
1: that he shot on
0: so many of his movies.
1: Sadly, they were all in the 70s, so we'll never talk about them
0: ever again. All right. Music, which is... Funny because, I mean, there's this is what this whole movie is about. Truly. Uh, <laughs>
1: it really is. It
0: really is. Like,
1: hey, we're all going to go out bowling?
0: We're going to talk a little, but we're going to mostly sing and dance. Yeah. So a gentleman by the name of, I'm going to say Louis St. Louis.
1: Yeah. Sounds like he should
0: be playing hockey for Tampa. But... I, know. <laughs> I know. It sounds very much like a hockey player's yeah. name. Specifically from Quebec. Is he? Uh, No, but I think that that name sounds like somebody who'd be from Quebec. I'm not going to argue against that, no. So, like, he should be on the Canadians. Okay. Uh, Recently passed. Mm. He passed away a little over a year ago, March 2021. So, okay, so strictly speaking, as far as, like, composing, he only has two credits. One is Grease 2. Okay. And then the other is a TV special that is called or was called Lily for President? Is there a question, question mark? Oh, there is. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. But he very much was a music guy, and so most of his credits were either in the soundtrack or, like, music department. So not composing, strictly speaking. But mm. And he also worked on the original Grease. So likewise has a connection to the original film. He also worked on All the Right Moves, Where the Boys Are, and Ironweed. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So film editing, John F. Burnett mm-hmm. is his name. Okay. And <laughs> I've noticed that sometimes these uh, individuals who are in these other categories like editing or cinematography, if they have a name that is maybe among the more common names, they have to like throw in that middle initial To differentiate themselves from everybody else, so
1: just saying, there's a lot of Samuel Jacksons out there. I bet
0: exactly. There's that too. Okay, Uh, Michael Jordan. uh, Yeah, Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, look,
1: if there's literally any other Michael Jordan, you got to throw in. You got to
0: throw in the middle initial. Okay, so Burnett's work. We have "The Heart Is a Lonely Hunter." Hmm. This one again. This title is amazing. Suppose they gave a war. And nobody came. Hmm. <laughs> it's like a very I, reflective I, title. <laughs> yeah, I wish that were the case. Yeah, exactly. The Owl and the Pussycat, The Way We Were, Murder by Death. That'll do it. It's usually how that happens. Mm-hmm. The Goodbye Girl. He was the editor on the original Grease. Irreconcilable Differences. Okay. Class Act, Leap of Faith. And he did do some TV work. He cut on the TV series Baywatch Nights.
1: I mean, he had some range, too, because he also edited on Leviathan, which was like just straight up horror movie. OK. So in whatever you want to say about Grease 2, I don't think it goes that far.
0: <laughs> Grease 2 does not qualify as horror. No. No. Alright, we are finally moving on to the stars of this movie. And we are not starting with Michelle Pfeiffer. What the hell? I mean, arguably she has become the biggest star from I, this movie, but 1982. I would I would say
1: inarguably she has become the best star from Greece 2. Yeah. But I'm I'm willing to like listen to alternatives <laughs> here. If, uh, if there's someone- I'm not
0: putting forth any kind of like argument that she's not <laughs> but as far as like first billing goes for this film at the time that it was released went to maxwell caulfield mm-hmm. so he plays michael the i get. i don't know if he's like a foreign exchange student or if he like has relocated to the u.s
1: i i think he's just relocated to the u.s okay I, I, yeah i don't think it's like a foreign exchange thing because he's staying with like his cousins or his like, uncle Yeah, so that's the connection to Sandy, right?
0: Yeah, but it's all very strange because he's British, Sandy's Australian, and he makes a point of talking about how his uncle has this, like, bunker and all this, like, Americana military stuff. So my assumption is his uncle is American, So I don't know how all these different family members (laughs) really intersect. This is confusing. And I don't think they really went so far as to try to (laughs) connect
1: it. I don't know why they didn't just
0: like just make him Australian. Well yeah, I don't I don't know if he couldn't like affect an Australian accent. I don't I don't know. But in any case, I mean look, I get it that Australia is or was a British uh, settlement, colony, whatever you want to call it. Can you imagine
1: if it was uh, instead of Mr. Caulfield, it was uh, Mr. Connery? Mr.
0: Connery. (laughs) So I'm sure that there are families who some of them stayed back in Great Britain and some went off to anyway, we're getting way too far down that rabbit hole.
1: We're going to figure this all out in the Grease 2 prequel, which is not (laughs) Grease (laughs) 1.
0: So as far as Caulfield is concerned, I mean, he's working very steadily, has been ever since. And among some of his credits, uh, a lot of movies, Electric Dreams, okay. The Boys Next Door. Although he did pivot into TV, specifically that primetime soap opera uh, category that was like super popular in the 80s so he was on dynasty for a minute and then he went to its spinoff the colbys the colbys i didn't know that okay so he's on both of those uh back to film we have dance with death as well as gettysburg arguably his second most popular or maybe most popular among younger film fans empire records oh yeah yeah he is rex manning is Empire Records
1: a cult movie, or is it just like hmm. a movie from that from that time? If that makes sense, because I feel like it, I feel like Empire Records might even have like a, a larger following than Greece 2, which has mm-hmm. certainly a devoted following.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a great question. As far as like what do we call a cult film? Because usually, cult means like a very small yet extremely devoted fan base. I
1: feel like sometimes it means. A lot of people are going to say that movie is not that good, but I love it anyways.
0: Yeah, I mean, we could have a whole episode about like, how are, do you define cult film? But I think Empire Records has, I don't know, I think it walks that line because I think it probably does have a pretty substantial following of people yeah. who like it, but I don't know, but we just missed too bad we we didn't uh think ahead <laughs> enough to to have this lineup but rex manning day is actually like a day that i don't know how many people celebrate it but it's april 8th oh so we just well, <laughs> missed it we'd like to
1: wish everyone a happy what was his name rex manning Re- yeah rex manning day rex that's what i said right
0: did it? Was, <laughs> was it? I don't know what you said. Anyway. Okay. So some of his other credits. He's done voice work. So he did voice work on Spider-Man, the animated series. He was on a couple TV shows, Strip Mall, Casualty, and then had a very long run. So this is what's really interesting. Again, I think I caught IMDb in a mistake. Oh. Because he is credited for a show called Emmerdale Farm. They have it from 2009 to 2010. That's a that's exactly one year, but they have him credited for 159 episodes, which that would probably exceed any record of number of episodes you would pump out in one year. So I'm like, what is this all about? And so I actually like clicked in. It's a show from the 70s, so I don't exactly know how they like mixed up on the dates. But that's what that's all about.
1: Well look, I think we can agree that at this point in the podcast, sixty episodes in, our research has now surpassed (laughs) that of IMDB and we are basically correcting We are the
0: true for them. True experts. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So when you want insight on some of these eighties films, don't even go to IMDb. Don't go to IMDb. I think we've shown (laughs) them. They're not reliable like we are.
0: It's just some kind of a glitch that, yeah, like, messed up the order of his credits. But yeah. anyway. I mean,
1: we're going to keep using it, so you should too.
0: Exclusively. Almost. <laughs> uh, okay, so moving on to Michelle Fiverr, a uh, huge mega star that this was one of her very first credits. She plays the female lead, Stephanie, in it. And I think uh, we do talk about this with Casey. I. Th- I'm sure it's, like, very easy in retrospect to be like, oh, yeah, you could totally see that she was going to be a star. But you kind of can. Like, she has an energy to her that really, I think, sets her apart from anybody else in this film. Although many, many of the people in this film do great jobs uh, with the roles. But she's had a tremendous career. Although I think um, a selective one. I mean, she doesn't have as many credits as you would maybe assume for somebody that... Everybody knows who Michelle Pfeiffer is.
1: Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen everything that she's in, but I recognize every title.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And she's still very busy up to this day. So her credits, very first credit, uh, was simply the bombshell in a TV series called Delta House. Oh, okay. Yeah. Preceding this film, but we could actually do it Hollywood Nights. Hmm. The Hollywood Nights, I should say. She was on a TV series called bad cats bad as an acronym I don't know what it stands for
1: <laughs> okay
0: so very quickly after Grease 2 she's like boom 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 with the movies I mean you couldn't get two films that are further apart from each other than Grease 2 and Scarface but there you have it I think there's some musical numbers in Scarface <laughs> so she's in Scarface I know you desperately want to do this movie at some point, Lady Hawk.
1: That movie's it, its just fantastic. It's so good.
0: So she's in that, The Witches of Eastwick, Married to the Mob, Tequila Sunrise, and then she starts getting her Oscar nominations. She hasn't won yet, but she has several nominations. The first of which was Best Supporting Actress in Dangerous Liaisons. Then, in quick succession. She gets a Best Actress nomination for The Fabulous Baker Boys. She's in probably arguably my favorite film of hers, Batman Returns. Okay. I just adore her in that movie. She gets another Oscar nomination for Best Actress for Love Field, which I don't know that movie, but Uh, moving on, she's in The Age of Innocence, which I'm trying to think like I... I feel like I might have a hard time parsing out the differences between <laughs> Dangerous Liaisons and The Age of Innocence. They're all like these like they, period yeah, pieces, but yeah. uh she's in Wolf Dangerous Minds. I know that was a big pivot for her as far as like but I think it worked out. I she think got in she that was Coolio successful video with that. Yeah. 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 She's in One Fine Day, The Story of Us, What Lies Beneath, White Oleander. She also was in a remake The 2007 Hairspray. She's in Mother! Exclamation point. Hmm. Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, she also has entered into the Marvel Cinematic Universe <laughs> and is in Ant-Man and the Wasp.
1: She was the original Wasp.
0: Got it. Yeah. Okay. Is she the wife? Yes. Okay. Gotcha.
1: And I, you know, you brought up the, uh, the Oscar noms and not yet winning one and i just hope that if that does happen in the near future that there's no uh slapping of faces involved at the ceremony <laughs> Because I, I heard that that, yeah. that happened recently. <laughs> I can't remember who was involved in it, but I just remember it being a whole thing. And so I hope that, uh, you know, when she gets it, that it's just like a positive thing it's for everyone. It's
0: just serene and everybody's happy for yeah. her. And there's yeah. yeah.
1: Everyone. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So she also, I think it's like airing right now. She's in the TV series, The First Lady. Oh. And yeah. And so I think she's making appearances in like future Marvel Movies as well related specifically to Ant Man. That makes sense. And The Wasp. I think I saw that on her credits. So, Michelle Pfeiffer. Okay, moving on to Lorna Luft. Now, I think one thing that is a little bit more challenging in Grease 2 versus the original film is knowing who all of these other supporting characters are because I don't think that they like they're memorable in terms of like they all look very different from each other but i don't think you ever like truly like oh yeah that's paulette versus that chair like you know what i'm saying uh, yeah
1: there there's like a little bit of exposition mm-hmm. towards the beginning where they kind of explain who certain people are but like, like you, can't you know get who
0: frenchie is versus who uh riz is versus you know like you yeah. know everybody else from the original movie but in this case Lorna Love plays Paulette. And so she is, I guess you would say, kind of the Marilyn Monroe-esque pink lady. Okay. And the one that after Stephanie and Johnny break up, she kind of starts up a thing with Johnny.
1: She pursues uh, Nagarelli. Yes. Johnny. Johnny Nagarelli. And he does not treat her that great. No, but she stands up for herself, yeah, again, though. Which yeah, I she was... sure
0: does. She finally, at one point, enough is enough. Yeah. So, I don't want to say, like, I it's unfair where your claim to fame is like who your parents are, but I would be remiss to not say that she is the other daughter of Judy Garland. No. Oh. so she is the half sister of Liza Minnelli. Okay, yeah, and I'm not quite sure if, like, she just was, like, kind of giving acting a try and didn't exactly vibe with it or whatever the case may be. Her acting credits are not extensive, but we have the film Where the Boys Are. She was on the TV series Trapper John MD. Nice. Yeah. And then a couple more films, My Giant, 54, and then a TV series. This is an amazing title once again. Rick and Steve, the Happiest Gay Couple in All the World.
1: That is an amazing title.
0: Sure is. So that is Lorna Luft. Okay. So moving on to Maureen Tifi, is what I'm going to say her last name is. There's
1: literally no other way to say it.
0: She plays Sharon. So Sharon is the one who is, I guess you would say, like kind of the director of the Pink Girls' performance in the uh, talent show. Okay. She's the one that kind of is organizing everything and keeps, like, wanting the school, uh, like, the principal and everybody to keep watching their different iterations of that number. She's also the one that her boyfriend takes her into one of those, like, bomber bunkers and unsuccessfully tries to seduce her. So that's the best <laughs> I can do with trying to explain to you everybody out there who Sharon is. I think uh, I think she that's is... a
1: great description not only of her but of that incredibly awkward bomb shelter situation. yes,
0: okay, so among her in you know samesey's, I'm not sure to what degree she wanted to pursue acting or you know decided to put her energy towards other endeavors. Her credits are about as long as Lorna luff's. We have. Fire, hmm. F Y O oh. R E, not like, like a, Fire Festival, uh, but just a got, film you, called you knew Fire. I was
1: going with that, didn't you? Yeah.
0: Um, she's in a couple other high profile films. I mean, one is a little bit more notorious. Nineteen Forty One didn't. Oh, yeah. do super well. No, it did not. She, you know what? My guess is if somebody knows her from a film other than Grease Two, it's probably Fame.
1: Yeah, there's a little bit of dancing in that too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there is. She's in Supergirl, Men Seeking Women. She was on the TV series, Perversions of Science, and then a short called, which I think this is very interesting, Hollywood Girl, The Peg, uh, I always trip on her name, whistle Story.
1: Sounds right. She was also in one episode of the Max Headroom TV series.
0: Oh, well, do you know who Peg is? Do you know why I brought that up? No. She's the actress that presumably ended her life by jumping off of the Hollywood sign.
1: Oh, Hollywood girl, mm-hmm. the peg, endless story. That makes sense now. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she also
0: like a version of that character. I think there were great liberties taken with her character, but in that uh, Ryan Murphy Hollywood mm. uh, series from I think what a year ago. A year I did not ago? know
1: who that was, but I do know who Max Headroom is. That's <laughs>
0: all right so moving on to allison price she's Rhonda, so she is the pink lady who kind of has like these like nose issues she's like kind of hung up about her nose she has like that is the most defining trait i have for Rhonda.
1: i saw this movie with you i don't know who this is
0: she's the one that like she has glasses and she like I think at first they're kind of making fun of her nose, and then she oh. claims that she like ran into a wall because then she has like a bandage on oh, her nose. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: So she's actually the daughter of the director. So <laughs> she's the daughter of Patricia Birch. Um so we have a couple little Well, hey, uh well done. instances of nepotism in the film. But hey, uh, that is How dare you Hollywood. Uh so yeah, and and samesy's not an extensive acting career. I think it's because um
1: her mom only directed so much.
0: <laughs> oh she I think did pivot out. So she was in a TV movie called The Seduction of Gina. Okay. She also was in a, <laughs> <All right. laughs> a film called Unfaithfully Yours. But then she went into the restaurant business. That's awesome. So she just was like, nope. Acting's not for me. So, okay. Now, but, what's like,
1: it'd still be fun to be in that. And so, like, I won't, I won't ever hold it against anyone if they have fine. that opportunity.
0: Yeah. It's fine. I'm not, I'm not yeah. trying to go hard on her. But now, of all the pink ladies outside of Michelle Pfeiffer, technically she wasn't a pink lady. She was like a junior pink lady. She was Paulette's little sister. Like sidecar Bob? Yes. What was that guy? Dan.
1: Danny. We'll get to sidecar it, yeah. Sidecar Danny.
0: Well, don't worry. We we definitely have him on our list as well. But Pamela Adlon, who plays Dolores, her very first credit. This was mm. the very beginning of an incredibly impressive career. She currently has 219 credits. Quite she, a few. She's
1: possibly, like, if we were going to go back and talk about, like, who like the, the level of success after being in Greece too? just the volume of stuff. And like, probably depending on like what age range you might be in, she might be way more familiar.
0: Yeah. I would say like, that she's a good.
1: And she's like amazingly talented.
0: Oh, absolutely. Super, super, super talented. Very, very busy from the breadth of her work. Uh, so I really had to kind of pare down what we had here She in her like younger career was for a time on the TV series The Facts of Life. We have I don't know extensively, but she is in say anything, and that was a season two film that we covered. So you can head on back to that episode if you like. She was in the Adventures of Ford Fairlane, (laughs) the film Better Roses she was in the film Sergeant Bilko. Okay. Okay, so now we get into what has certainly been her bread and butter is voice work. This woman has done a ha 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 hot of voice work. Oh yeah. Um so among some of them I have the TV series Quack Pack. She played Dewey Duck. The TV series Jungle Cubs, she was Baloo. She was a voice on Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot. She was Rusty. She voiced on a film or a TV series, pardon me, Recess. She's Spinelli. Okay. Probably the most well known role that she has done as far as her voice work is she is Bobby Hill. Yeah. Yeah. In King of the Hill. So 258 (laughs) episodes.
1: It's amazing. I think. People, I don't know, like with the Simpsons, I think maybe people are used to like who, like how you kind of like get in your mind who's doing the voice work. And it always it's always like kind of like surprising. So I don't know how many people knew that she was the voice of Bobby. I didn't until like we went through this movie.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean. I had no
1: idea. That's amazing.
0: It is. It is. Uh, among some of her like on camera work. A lot, a lot more television. She was on California Cation. She's been on This Is Us. And then the show that I believe it's in its final season, right this very moment, Better Things. Oh, okay, yeah. So she's the star of that show. I believe she is like the primary writer. It's really her baby. Um, she's star, writer, producer on that show.
1: She was uh, in that show called The Louie.
0: Yes, he has been, and I believe that there is like a friendship between yeah. the two. Yeah. Um, yes. And just it, that is just a small, small fraction of the amount of work that she's done. So, 116th. Yeah. So much more television, so much more voice work. She's amazing. Okay. All right. So, we're moving on to the first of the T Birds. We have Johnny Nagarelli. Am yeah, I saying that right? Okay, that's great. It, yeah. So Adrian's met. This is crazy. So it's not that he was like at the very, very beginning of his career in totality, but this is his first film credit. Okay. So, but I, I mean, I love him in this movie. I think he's amazing. He is certainly not Danny. No. From the original Grease. He very much gives his own spin to this role and being head of the T-Birds. And, you know, we talk about this with Casey. I think he doesn't get enough credit for the range that he has in this movie. I mean, because he has some really hilarious, like, physical comedy moments. Yeah. And to your point earlier about Paulette, he has, like, as a character, these, like, insightful... Epiphany <laughs> moments about his behavior. So it's, he's a really interesting character in this movie. He, he is, and it's not an
1: easy act to follow when you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to be in this sequel to a movie that had John Travolta dancing yeah. a bunch. And I thought on, on that side of things, he did as well as you could expect anyone to do. Like he was great. I agree. You know? they, they definitely like ramped up all the musical numbers, all the dance, uh, dance numbers. And I thought, like, he, he had so much energy mm-hmm. in the movie, which you kind of needed because you don't have much else. You got the energy to get, like get you through this. And that's uh, it.
0: Arguably, like, look, I love Michelle Pfeiffer in this movie. She is fun and does a great job, and you know, does to some degree carry. But like, his energy is like everything in this movie. Yeah, because... Like, he um, commits so fully to this role. Exactly. Yeah. So, among some of his work, uh, I mean, I really loved him in this film, so I guess I'm a little sad that he hasn't done more, but he was on the TV series Good Time Girls. Uh, probably as far as, like, film work goes, other people would know him from Bachelor Party. Yeah. So, yeah, um, he's in that. If you're looking at TV work, you probably know him from TJ Hooker. So, how could you not? (laughs) So, he was on that for a minute. Uh, A couple other films Eyewitness to Murder, Running from the Shadows. He plays himself Mm. in the TV movie Sharknado 4 The Fourth Awakens. So I love that he seems to be a guy who is up for just like a fun, silly, whatever, playing himself in it. So
1: yeah, that's amazing.
0: And then uh, some like additional TV performances. So that's about kind of the, the gist, I guess,
1: of his career. But I mean, he played Jack Torrance in a TV series short outside the box
0: interesting um yeah i mean jack torrance you immediately think of the shining
1: that's what it was
0: yeah it, it is connected to yeah, that it is. oh okay yeah that's interesting that would be a huge oversight if you just named a character jack torrance and didn't realize <laughs> that <laughs> that's kind of an infamous character it name. very
1: much would be and then he also did uh some voice work he was in a uh, star wars jedi jedi starfighter game that's cool where
0: he voiced one of the characters yeah all right so moving on to Peter Frechette. Demucci. Yeah, Demucci. So a lot of these people were very early in their careers. This is his this is his very first credit. So very, very young. And as far as some of his work, I think um, I mostly have films here for him. So we have Voyager from the Unknown. The okay. Hills have Eyes Part two. He was in No Small Affair, The Kindred, The Unholy. Wow. Yeah, I think, I mean, at least a couple of those are for sure horror movies, I think. 30-something? Sounds like a horror. (laughs) He was on the TV series Dream Street. He also was in The First Wives Club. and then, Or I guess I should say, I think First Wives Club that was like our cinematographer. In any case, and then I had to put this one in, Miracle at St. Anna. Oh, very nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that is Peter Forsette. Okay. Uh, in addition to Michelle Pfeiffer, Pamela Adlon, we have somebody else who has just had a absolutely tremendous career, Christopher McDonald. Shooter McGavin. He is giving Adlon a real run for her money in terms of number of credits.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think so we have we have our big 3. Yes, from Greece. Yeah, with,
0: yeah. He currently has two hundred and fifteen credits, still going strong. I think it's really interesting that his name in this movie. And like, look, this precedes Top Gun, but I'm like, we have two characters in the '80s whose names are Goose.
1: It's true. Very different. They're very very different. different geese.
0: Yeah, but He's I thought
1: more of like one of them is probably more of like a Canadian goose.
0: <laughs> As opposed to... I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, he's had... I I think it's a very appropriate term to say prolific career. And I had a hard time censoring myself because so many are just, like, really well-known or beloved films. A lot of film work, starting with Where the Boys Are, Break-In, The Boys Next Door. So a lot of, like... Where are the boys? The boys are next door. (laughs) Outrageous Fortune. I think a lot of people probably know him from Thelma and Louise. Okay, yeah. He plays the, like, pretty shitty husband. He's in Dutch. Fatal Instinct, not to be confused. With Basic Instinct? With Basic Instinct or Fatal Attraction. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) But it's pretty clear why they probably settled on that title. Grumpy Old Men. Mm -hmm. Terminal Velocity. Quiz Show. Here's where, if you're a fan of Sandler movies, you know him from Happy Gilmore as... Yeah,
1: Shooter McGavin. There you go. Pieces of shit like that guy for breakfast.
0: (laughs) He is in Flubber, SLC Punk! Exclamation point?
1: Yes. He was pretty good as Matthew Lillard's dad in that. Okay. And Matthew Lillard is like this anti-establishment punk rock guy. And he doesn't really connect very well with his dad. And his dad had this great line where he's like, he wants him to go into law school. And he's like, just remember, son, I didn't sell out. I bought in. Nice. And uh, it was just a corny line that I remembered. But he was a good, he was good in that movie.
0: He is in, and now we have to get back to this, but I think it was just too intense one night we weren't looking for something this intense. He's in the faculty.
1: <laughs> we like, yeah, we got like ten minutes in and said no. Yeah,
0: nope. I love that movie. I've seen it before, but I was just like, no, I can't do It's a bit too much. Can't do it tonight. No. Nope. He's in the Skulls. Uh oh, another film that's a bit too much. Requiem for a Dream.
1: <laughs> that movie, uh and he plays such a bizarre character in that. He's he's the uh the like uh infomercial. Yes like, Yes. Weight loss drug thing. Yep. Yeah.
0: That's exactly who he is. So he's in that The Perfect Storm. So he has he has done some TV for sure. Uh TV series Family Law, back in movies, Rumor Has It. He's in The House Bunny. Oh. As am I.
1: It's <laughs> true. It was opening credits. My
0: my uh, yeah. little No, you're not going to see a, You're not going to see a credit for me. You're just going to see me during Opening, opening yes yeah. opening yeah, yeah, yeah. credits so um if anybody is curious is that like a
1: high school yearbook image or uh grade school grade school okay
0: yeah so they like open on they give this like really quick uh background on anna ferris's mm-hmm. uh upbringing and so basically they do like a class picture where they start zeroing in on what i would say is the quote Normal, like a normal-looking little girl. Uh-huh. I'm the normal-looking li- li- little girl, and then they pan over to her, and she's kind of this like little goofy-looking girl. All right, well there you go. So you're normal. I'm. I'm you just, a normal-looking. girl. I was school. just a normal-looking girl. <laughs> so the house buddy, he's back on TV. The good wife, ballers. I love this title. The real bros of Simi Valley.
1: Wow, we're
0: not that far from
1: Simi Valley. We're n-
0: oh, am I not putting enough emphasis? I I think I say Wait, it more with an Simi? I
1: than an E. See, I, I usually call it Simi,
0: and I call it Simi 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 Valley. But is it you? I think you.
1: Right, well, I got my call to action all set up. Now.
0: <laughs> he and then very very recently he's been on both Hacks and American Crime Story, and then I mean that again. As much as I, like, put down, like, close to 30 credits, he has so many more. Okay. 35, 40. (laughs) Finally. Yeah. We have... Now, you brought him up, Sidecar Bob, I think is what you called him. I called him that
1: during the movie because it was just so comical how he would just, like, everyone's hopping on their motorcycle, and he just kind of, like, hops into this little sidecar. And then at one point in the movie, when they had to make, like, a tight turn... He just like got knocked out of the sidecar so that he could like physically turn the bike around. And that was like the most that he did with respect to that bike. It was kind of amazing.
0: <laughs> so we are talking about the character of Davy Sidecar Davy. Sidecar Davy played by Leaf Green. I love that name. I think that's a great name. This was his first credit, which he is extremely young. So if your last
1: name is Green, why not have a kid and name him Leaf?
0: Yeah. So not a ton of acting work. Again, perhaps he's like, yeah, this just isn't for me. But among some of his credits, we have the film Joysticks. And then he did have a couple TV appearances. So he was in The Facts of Life as well as Simon and Simon. Nice. Now, okay, look, those are the main players as far as characters from the film. But I did a quick just run down like listed out the returning characters i'm not going to go through their uh like imdb credits because the film isn't really about any of these people they just are familiar faces from the original greece okay but we do have dd khan so she's frenchy mm-hmm. we have eve arden she's miss mcgee was she in the first one too yes okay your favorite sid caesar
1: yeah, I don't know why, but he is. He is in, <laughs> in these movies, yeah. He
0: is Coach Calhoun. Mm-hmm. We have, I'm going to say Dodie Goodman. So she's Blanche. She's Miss McGee's right-hand woman. Mm. We have Eddie Deason. So he comes back as Eugene. And he look, he got, he got treated much better. Yes. He
1: was able to be kind of like not so much of just the butt of jokes yep. in this one. So... Good, good for, uh, good for Eddie. Good for Eugene.
0: And then finally, Dennis Stewart, who I don't know if like anybody would really ever recognize him through his name. His character name is Belmudo.
1: He sings, he leads off the reproduction song, Right. No, isn't, that's not him.
0: He's the leader of the opposing game. Oh, gang. That, he's
1: uh Dennis. He's the uh, crater face
0: guy. Yes, as they call yes. him. Yes. Okay. Which isn't a kind way to I refer to somebody, but that probably is a term that more people be like, "Oh, that guy," than Belmudo. But yeah. Okay. Well,
1: my apologies to the uh, to the actual teacher who led that song. But there's that comical moment where it just zooms in like you're watching like an old Western. Yeah. It was really like unnecessarily intimidating.
0: <laughs> All right, Derek. Mm-hmm. Film synopsis. Oh. Does,
1: does it have, does it have one? Does it need one?
0: It has one.
1: Does it need one? <laughs> That's the we'll second. see. Okay.
0: All right. A British student at a 1960s American high school must prove himself to the leader of a girls gang whose members can only date Greasers. All right. I got to be honest. I love that.
1: I love that it it (laughs) frames it in terms of like, this kid has to prove himself to the girls gang. That's what I like about it. Because I think that does accurately reflect kind of like the flip that Grease 2 has Mm -hmm. compared to the original, right? Where it's about this guy, like, and look, he does a great job. He, He becomes... What I would could only call proficient in stunts <laughs> and motorcycle riding and maintenance
0: pretty quickly, pr- very quickly. pretty short order. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it's fun. I mean, I think that the the can word... really
1: only date T-birds,
0: yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know if they were throwing greasers in there to like connect it to the title, but uh, I think the word gang has a connotation that doesn't really accurately describe what the pink ladies are
1: these pink ladies were involved in incredibly violent crime
0: (laughs) that's my point yeah Yeah. that's my point so i don't really know off the top of my head an alternate descriptive term for them but yeah it's completely serviceable
1: it's It's better than some other
0: ones that we've read. (laughs) That is true. That is very true. So on that note, let's get into it with Casey. Let's do it. All right. We are so excited to have back with us our amazing guest, Casey Campbell. Casey was with us way back in season one for Back to the Future. So it's been a minute, but we are so thrilled to have him with us, Casey First and foremost, he is just a cherished friend. We love him so very much, but also he is a tremendous actor. You almost certainly have seen him in one of his multiple national commercials or heard his voice work in a video game or two. That's just some of the stuff that he's done. He's really had just such an amazing career, and we are thrilled to have him back on the show with us. Welcome, Casey. Welcome, Casey. Hello.
2: Hey, guys. How's it going?
0: We're great. We're we're really excited. I am,
2: I am delighted <laughs> to be back. Actually, I it's I was I was just thinking the other day that um I know we had a chance to hang out in person the other night, but for the longest it had, it had been a long time since we hung out and actually mm-hmm. seen each other just due to life and the pandemic and everything going on. But it felt very weird because I've since been listening to you guys as podcast. <laughs> A lot. I've been doing a lot of road trips in the last year. And, like, it's just such a wonderful go-to road trip. So it's, like, I always feel like I have been staying in touch with you guys and talking about this, you know, wonderful list of movies that you've been covering and everything. And so I got to admit, when we hung out the other night, I was, like, a little starstruck. I was, like, oh, my God, it's oh, Anna and Derek Casey. from the 80s movie montage.
0: Casey. There they
2: are, live in person. <laughs> and it's fantastic.
0: Well, I'm I'm really glad that you – because I was going to bring this up for the very first time. On the podcast, we actually watched the movie with the guest, and I'm so—I mean, it was—it was honestly just like so much fun. The I shared know, experience
1: yeah. of watching Grease, too.
0: <laughs> I'm still it, not over it.
2: It has to be shared. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a group event. It has to be a group event because, and let me let me throw out this disclaimer here really first because. I know you'll probably get to this as a question at some point, but this is, I think this is less of a statement and more of maybe a confession, but like *Grease* two is definitely one of my like guilty pleasure movies. Like I, it's, it's something that I've, 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 gr- I've grown up with this movie in a lot of weird ways. Like, um, and I can get into that later in the podcast, but like, this movie to me is like, it's, it's definitely a cult classic. I'm part of that cult and to share it with people who haven't seen it or who haven't seen it in a We're while. We're going to totally take such... that out
0: of context. Oh my, yeah, so I'm exactly. part of a cult. Yeah, exactly. Don't, I've
2: indoctrinated both Anna and Derek. Your sound bite. At the, the Grease 2 Center down on Franklin. It's right across the street from Scientology. It's a little smaller. It's not as castle-like, but still we have fun. Um But no, to share it with people to like one people who haven't seen it or people haven't seen it in a while. It's such a great experience because it's just it's such a delightfully bonkers movie. One of those like so bad, it's good. Um, It's got elements in it that are quite entertaining and are quite fun and at some points even funny. Um, But overall, it's one of those movies where you're just like you do wonder like, oh, my God, like what what was going on behind the scenes? Who who signed off on this? I
1: I wondered that literally during the entire experience. It it exposed me to things that I was not necessarily prepared for.
2: Yeah, and it's it's that weird thing with sequels too, where it's like it it's it's coming off of this juggernaut of a film of the first Grease, which was this worldwide phenomenon. And you know, it was the '80s, so like I think in today's world, like there's such. I think there's probably a little more care given to sequels. Like they at least want to at least repeat what they did for the first one, or they do something even bigger for the second one. But the eighties were just like, ah, just slap a two on there or a Roman two and we're fine. And like, we'll, we'll figure it out. Like it just, they just kind of made a sequel for the sake of making a sequel. And I feel like Greece two falls into that category, but, I will also say there's a lot to talk about this movie (laughs) and its problems, but I will be probably the, uh, the defender of a few things of Grease 2 on this podcast because it's like, you know, Grease 2 is kind of like my, it's like a little brother. It's like, he's not doing so great. And, you know, he's, you know, he, he, he's not, you know, he's made some bad decisions and he's always trying to ask me for money and things like that, but I'm going to defend him because he's still my brother and I love him and I love Grease 2.
0: Well, okay. So I'm glad that you actually phrased it that way because, Because, you know, usually we do start with, like, asking about first experiences with a particular film. And you've already said that this was a guilty pleasure. So, like, the assumption is that you are very familiar. This isn't just a film you saw a couple years ago. And I remember when we were watching this with you, you made an allusion to, like, watching this with your family. And in particular that you had a lot of female cousins.
2: Yeah, let me, yeah, with my, cut, like, I didn't watch this with, like, my mom and dad. Like, we didn't get okay. around this, like, some kind of, like, <laughs> you know, evergreen movie that we would just turn on. Um, no, I grew up with, um, I grew up, uh, most of my summers were spent at my grandmother's house. My parents um, were always going on, like, different trips over the summer, or business trips through my dad's work, and so, because no parents should ever have to drag along, you know, kids to Barcelona or Paris or something like that. <laughs> um like, as a kid, I felt sad, but now I'm like, as an adult, I'm like, oh, God, yeah, I wouldn't want to brought me and my brother either to, like, these amazing destinations where all we would have just been complaining about is that they don't serve chicken tenders and fries on the menu. <laughs> um, but most summers, we would spend it at my grandma's house, and my uh, my grandma lived very close to a lot of my cousins who were all predominantly girls, and they were about – All of them were about two to three, maybe four years older than me. So they were all very much into the movies like Dirty Dancing or Can't Buy Mm -hmm. Me Love or the entire John Hughes canon. Mm -hmm. And and then also one of these movies was Grease and Grease, too. And so, you know, back in the day. When you would go to there, obviously, there was no streaming services or anything like that, like your chances of watching a movie or seeing a movie were based on if it happened to be playing on TV. Mm -hmm. Or you would go to the video store and walk down the aisles and see what they had. And of course, you know, everyone had seen Grease. I think Grease is kind of like one of those movies like, like Grease to me doesn't feel like, you know, a cult movie or, uh, you know, a a musical or something. Grease is like Jaws. It's it's like a cultural Mm -hmm. phenomenon. Everyone has... Either an experience with Grease or everyone has seen Grease or likes it for a variety of reasons. Like if they don't like the movie, they at least like some of the songs or they, they were in the play in high school. So like everyone kind of has a connection to that. But when you go to the video store back in 1988, 89, 90, whenever it was, and you see next to it that there is a Grease 2, you're like, oh, Awesome. I'm going to watch this movie <laughs> not intriguing. knowing that like it really, you know, has aside from a few characters who show up, like basically grease two is like, Hey, remember all the characters you don't give a shit about. They came back for the <laughs> sequel, but everyone you really want to see did not sign on for this uh piece of uh, cinematic <laughs> mastery. Um
0: But what's interesting is that, like, to your point, you know, if you're walking down the aisle in a video store, probably at the time that you're doing that, Michelle Pfeiffer did very quickly get fame. And so it's like you might have been like, wait, she's in what? And it was so early in her career. But you're like, oh, well, it has Michelle Pfeiffer in it. You know, like it must be decent. So, and I'm not saying it's not decent. I'm just <laughs> saying that I think what that, that <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that that's I think an interesting draw of the film for people who may not be otherwise familiar with it to have this like now huge star in it.
1: I had no, no. idea that she was in it and I had never <laughs> seen it, but when I heard that she was in it, I thought hmm.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's
2: like a. It's a little bit. It's like a. a little bit of like a, a security blanket before you jump mm-hmm. into the movie. You're like, oh, okay. Someone who I know and someone who whose work body of work I really respect and really like and and love in a lot of cases is in this. So mm-hmm. at the very least, you're like, okay, I'm seeing an early version of this person or I'm seeing a person kind of become who they are. And and Michelle, you're right. Michelle Pfeiffer is because she's one of the two leads in the movie is, you know, uh, featured predominantly on all the marketing and the boxes and things like that. So when you look at Grease too, like, you're like, oh, okay, Michelle Pfeiffer's in it. It can't be that bad. Yes, it can, but Michelle Pfeiffer is still delightful in it.
1: All of these things can be true. I mean, I so the first thing I did was I looked to make sure that Sid Caesar was in it, and then I noticed that Pfeiffer <laughs> yeah, was also in it. Yeah, that's
0: who you were looking that's, for first. Yeah. That's
2: just what Derek always does, though. Yeah. He always looks to see if Sid Caesar's in it. Big Sid he's Caesar He's eventually fan. <laughs> disappointed, and then he's like, all right, I'll watch it, even though Sid Caesar's not in it. Fine.
1: <laughs> What's this movie called? The Godfather? He's not in it. Fine. <laughs> <laughs>
2: First blood. Oh, he's in it. Oh, wait, no, that's Richard Crenna. Damn it. Um, well,
0: I will say that, like, I I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of just having these, like, really joyful memories of certain movie-going experiences. Given that now we're a couple decades removed, like, why, why has this movie stuck with you? Is it because there's still that, like, nostalgic draw of how you first became acquainted with it? Or, like, what – What is it that you find – I mean, that's such a broad question, but what has kept it one of your favorites? How many decades
1: removed are we?
2: A couple. Um, <laughs> yeah, cause I, cause I think this. I think this movie came out in '82. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and and one of the reasons, like, it actually did okay, but the reason it didn't do great is it because it was released the same weekend as ET. Oh. So it just got annihilated by yeah. that because everyone, I mean, rightfully so, went to go see ET because I think had this movie come out at a different time or came at a time where you know, nothing big was coming out. Um, And I guess clearly this was a time where studios didn't look to see what was on the horizon. I, I mean, guess so. Spielberg, yeah. it, this wasn't like jaws where Spielberg was just, that kind of came out of nowhere. Like Spielberg had been pretty established by this point with Raiders of the lost Ark mm-hmm. and, and jaws and close encounters. So it was like, yeah, maybe don't go up against the Steven Spielberg alien movie. Cause it's probably going to do better. <laughs> <laughs> than this little motorcycle romp you have with Grease, too. But um, as far as why I'm still like, you know, still come back to this movie, it's, it's I think it's 100% nostalgia. I think it's 100% okay. nostalgia. Um, it's, it's also one of those movies like it, it is a cult movie. Like a lot of times people, you know, when they look to a cult movie, you've got to, you know, it, sometimes it feels like you have to have complete and utter reverence for that movie. But sure. most of the time, it's like, no, a lot of people watch cult movies because they are – they're kind of bad. Like, that's why Rocky Horror Picture Show became yes. such a phenomenon is because people went to go see this kind of bad movie. Like, it at the end of the day, like, that movie's not great. The songs are fun and, like, it's campy and, like, there's a lot going on that makes it fun to watch with a group. But why that movie became popular is because people were into – in this experience together watching this movie. Um, The same happens with, you know, Tommy Wiseau's The Room. Like, when people watch that (laughs) together, they love watching (laughs) it and making fun of it, and it's this group experience. And when the three of us watched it, like, I had such a blast watching that movie because... You know, just watching you guys' reactions to it, and like knowing the things you were going to react to, and the things that you didn't react to, that I like would then probably pause and point out to you. Oh yeah. Um, Oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah. (laughs) Which we'll we'll get to that at one point. I I don't even know. There's probably some Grease two fans listening to this thing and don't even know about that fact. I don't even know how the hell I found that out, but we'll get to that later. But it's it's just that it's that group experience. It's that thing of like it's you know it's it's kind of and a lot of. There's a lot of sequels, though, to movies, bad sequels to movies. I think of, like, we were talking about this the other night, like Mannequin 2 Mm -hmm. or, and, you know, Grease 2, or, uh, sorry, Caddyshack 2. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Um, bad. You know, that, like, there's rarely, like, a, a sequel to a musical that's bad. Maybe... I get maybe staying alive is kind of like that, although mm, okay. Saturday Night Fever is not really a musical. Like I don't know if you've rewatched that movie or not, but like that movie is like a Scorsese film. It's really gritty and dark. Yeah, and like, it's not the like. There's like some really tough moments
0: in that movie. Yeah,
2: there's. I think people lump that movie in with Grease, and I'm like, Grease is like a carnival. Like it's no. very poppy and disco. But yeah. Saturday Night Fever is like, oh. There's a gang rape. There's a suicide. Mm-hmm. There's blatant racism, and then occasionally some fun BGS disco dancing. <laughs> Holy shit! But there's shit, like, I've never but seen there's, it, but- oh, you've, you've never seen *Saturday seen... Night Fever*? No.
0: Okay. Holy cow! Well, yeah, it's don't it's expect. not an eighties movie, but
2: <laughs> but *Staying Alive* is. So if you want to watch <laughs> the sequel is- to it, directed by Sylvester Stallone, nonetheless, it's uh, it's well, um, but, but yeah, there's you know, but there's there's rarely a sequel to a movie that's like as much of a cult um, status film as opposed to just the the movie itself. Cause usually the first one comes out and it's like, it's, 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 it's awful or it's terrible and it becomes a cult hit. And like, why would they make a sequel to it? The only other one I can think of that's maybe a sequel, that's kind of a cult movie would maybe be um, like troll two or something like that, you know, just like where people love that because it's so bad and it's so terrible and I thought about mentioning Evil Dead 2, but that's not a cult mm. movie. That's just a piece of cinematic uh, mastery right there. So I won't even bring that up.
1: <laughs> I well, respect it for its placement before Army of Darkness.
0: This is, well, I just want to say really quickly it is a little bit of an oddity that we're doing this movie because it is a sequel and it's a sequel to a film that technically we cannot cover because the original Grease is a 70s movie. We can basically
1: yeah. do whatever we want.
0: But I mean. Sure, sure. no, <laughs> Nobody's putting a gun to our head saying we can't do it. But I think to a couple of Casey's points, I completely agree with you that the original film was such a kind of worldwide phenomenon that we're kind of working off the assumption that most people have knowledge of the original Grease uh, with John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John, and... And
1: Sid
0: Caesar, it Caesar, so <laughs> of course. So, I, I don't feel per se like needing to go through a rundown because the two stories are pretty separate, except for them both taking place at Rydell High School. But what I'm curious about for you, Casey, is that do you recall, like, by the time you saw Grease 2, had I'm thinking. You had already seen the original Grease. Is that correct?
2: Oh, yeah, I definitely. Okay. I mean, I feel like Grease, that's that's a movie I feel like people watch. E- even though I'm like, there's definitely some moments in the first Grease where it's like, you know, I mean, Rizzo is, you know, pregnant and like, mm-hmm. th- like Vince Fontaine is a sexual predator. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's, you know, there's definitely like Danny making advances on Sandy and her not wanting it. And like, there's a lot of like, you know teenage kind of horniness and you know the the what's the summer nights like has yeah you know some a lot of <laughs> innuendo unfortunate and questionable lyrics in it but mm-hmm. i feel like greece is something where a lot of that flies over the heads of kids who are watching it and so like and that definitely did me like it's it's not you know i when i rewatched greece later in life i'm like oh i get that reference now or oh that makes more sense but as a kid like it didn't even dawn on me. It was just like, oh, it's just teenage talk. That's all this mm-hmm. is. Like, so it's you know, I'm like, oh, cool. I'll I'll learn about that when I become a teenager and decide which gang I want to join in high school and which musical numbers <laughs> we're going to perform because that's how clearly many, what happens in high school.
1: How many gangs were there? There was really only
2: one option.
0: I don't know. Yeah, at Rydell, yes, <laughs> okay. yes,
2: at Rydell. We don't know what the other schools' <laughs> musical <laughs> gangs were like. Um, which but circles no, I had back def- to. Well, yeah, I was just well,
0: gonna say, circles so back to another guy who returns to Greece too. That, like, yes, technically he returns to Greece too, but really never plays any role whatsoever. The rival gang leader.
2: Yeah, Crater Faith shows up. Yes, again too. It's, yes, it's, it is amazing. The list of people who came back to this, it's like it, 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 it would basically be like if you went to Ghostbusters two and only Walter Peck returned. <laughs>
0: Interesting. It
2: follows his his journey at the EPA. And like Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, none of those guys are back. But like Walter Peck and maybe Annie Potts come back. And like that's it.
0: (laughs) That's actually a really good comparison. Yeah, I'm interested. But but that's not to say, I mean, Grease 2 is fully its own thing. I, I mean, it is weird, the cameos of the returning characters and who does come back to it, but it you don't technically, I think, have to watch the original Grease to understand what's going on I in think Grease 2. I would say no, that you would
1: need to watch the first Grease to understand that, that there was this thing that they're making another thing of, because independently of Grease, if I just saw Grease 2 for the first time, I would have even less of an idea of what was happening but okay, that's to a know. fair point.
2: And like, there is kind of like some, you know, you know that like, you don't have to really explain. I mean, not like that. There's some, you know, grand sweeping mythology, like game of Thrones in this, but like, it does help to know that it's like, okay, there's the T-Birds and the pink Ladies,
0: Sure. Yeah. And if
2: you don't watch the first Grease, you don't really know the dynamic of that. But like the T-Birds date the pink ladies, and that's kind of the setup. And like, you need to know that. And
0: that's I think true. there's,
2: and there's some other exposition in this too, where like, Michael is Sandy's cousin, even though yeah. he's British and she was Australian. I don't know how that quite works. Maybe like they were descendants of some, you know, family of, you know, <laughs> prisoners or something like that. Um, yeah. No, I, I was thinking the same like, thing. Yeah. Like, his, yeah. Like some, you know, daughter of some, you know, uh, warden on the Island of Australia fell in love. And that's like, we trace that back in history and that, that, that leads to Michael Carrington and Sandy, uh, Sandy Olson being, uh, um, Related, but you know that happens very quickly. But again, you don't really need to know that, but you do need to kind of know like the dynamic of Rydell High and like the principals and like they're you know the 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 characters do come back like Eve Arden and and uh, um, Blanche and Mm -hmm. uh, Miss I can't remember her name. I should have this written down, but like the two the two principals in the school, which they're delightful. I mean, every scene with them is just like it's just like comedy gold because they're just they're funny and really enjoyable to watch, but. You do get the setup of like, you know, there's a kind of there's a hierarchy at this school and it's like the T-Birds are king, the pink ladies are the queens and like everyone else is just like beneath them, whether they're a jock, whether they're a nerd, like these are the like the top kids in the school. But it's, it is weird in Greece, too, though, like I feel like. They, the T-Birds and the Pink Ladies had more power in the first Grease, and this yes. one, everyone just kind of like puts up with them. They're like, "Oh yeah, do your yeah. thing, whatever." Like nobody takes them seriously at all. <laughs> they're like, they're, uh,
1: n- they're a little diminished yeah. in this yeah, one,
2: exactly, exactly. But I don't think you have to watch the first Grease. Well, it, it it does help and it doesn't, but like this, it does help in the sense that like this movie is essentially the reverse gender storyline of yes. the first Grease because in this one, Michelle Pfeiffer. Stephanie Zanoni is the Danny Zuko and Mm. Maxwell Caulfield as Michael Carrington is the Sandy Olson. So it's like, it's a reverse gender one, which actually makes this movie really cool. And like this, you know, tip of the cap to the movie in that regard that like Stephanie Zanoni is actually a really great character because she kind of does her own thing. She has that great line about like how, you know, there's got to be just more to life than making out. And like the guy changes for her in this mm-hmm. one, which is really kind of cool. Like that's another problematic thing with Grease is that she changes for Danny. Mm-hmm. Um, was- he kind of changes for her. Like, I mean, yeah. he joins track, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. We don't really follow that plot line any further, but I guess he gets a Letterman jacket. But, you know, as soon as he sees her in leather, leather he's like, fuck he that. I'm going back to, right to Grease off. her. Yeah, exactly. Forget <laughs> that. But in this one, like he, you know, he changes, he works, you see like his, the montage of him, like becoming, you know, good at riding a motorcycle and like, cause he knows that's what she wants. So he's like, I'll become that. But then she kind of falls for the other side of him too. And like, the, you know, I'm not saying that this is like some, you know, really well thought out, you know, <laughs> dynamic of a relationship and character study, but. I do appreciate that, that, like, Stephanie Zanoni is a very important character, at least for young girls, like, watching this, who mm-hmm. are probably like, yeah, like, because she's very independent, and it's her choice, it's her decision, and, like, one of the few songs in the movie, like, there's a lot of songs in the movie that are just utter garbage, but one of the cool songs is hers, Cool Writer, because it's one of the few songs in the movie that actually does what musicals are supposed to do, where it's like, it, it, it you know, it furthers the story or it clarifies a character's point of view, and, like, in that song, she really talks about like what she wants and why she wants that. And, yeah. you know, and explains that to Michael. And then he hears that and it's like, okay, that's what she wants. I'm going to go do that. And it furthers the plot. Every other song, like the fucking bowling song and
0: the song <laughs> about you. doing
2: it in the fucking, uh, you know, nuclear shelter and uh, the, the song about reproduction. Like those are, you know, reproduction again is a great song, but like none of those songs further the plot. Whereas the first Greece, Pretty much every song furthers the plot, either character wise or plot wise um, or or scene wise. Like this, you know, there's very few of those moments. And Cool Rider is just a great song. It's like a fucking Pat Benatar song. It's just badass. And <laughs> yeah, Michelle Fiverr yes. looks great yeah. singing it. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah. I totally agree with you. I think that far and away, Stephanie is the most developed character. I mean, the one thing that, I really like about Michael's character is his like kind of straightforwardness and and sincerity. Like at first, you know, he, I think he's smart enough to kind of understand very quickly how he is perceived by everybody else at the Which, school. Which can we,
2: can we talk about that real quick? Like I sure. love that Michael Carrington comes to this school and he is this like gorgeous built <laughs> guy with these dreamy eyes this british accent he's wearing fine tailored suits he dresses really well and like i mean he is this he is a catch for lack of a better term when he shows up to rydell and every person at this school is just like nerd poindexter (laughs) whatever sit back down go back to your book learning nerd we're gonna be riding motorcycles and i'm like are you fucking kidding me look at the t-birds they all just look like goblins yeah, compared to this, Brit- yeah. <laughs> this British dreamboat who has showed up. Like, how is every woman at Rydell not constantly after this guy? That's the only thing I don't quite get. Like, because I mean, even in the first Grease where it's like, yeah, Sandy's a nerd, but she's hot. So that kind of trumps everything else. Like Michael Carrington, like, how are the girls just not being like, oh, my God, this well, guy always, is amazing.
0: I always felt that way about um, Lorenzo Lamas. In the original Grease, like right? he has Lorenzo that same Is yeah. that the guy
1: from Renegade.
0: Yes, yeah. Oh right. He he's the like, I don't know if he even has a single line of dialogue, but I he's don't think the he guy, speaks at all. Yeah. I don't think he speaks at all, but he has that same dreamy quality that Michael does. And yeah. so, Derek, to give you. So he's the guy that Sandy very temporarily kind of hooks up with. Okay. Um, before her and Danny try to make a go of it at school, okay. he's
2: like the male Patty Simcox. Like he's kind of yes. like the straight laced. Although Patty Simcox, like rewatching the first Grease, and again we're not talking about the first Grease, so we'll avoid it as much as I can. But like <laughs> Patty Simcox, like there's a moment where she comes up to Danny and she's like, "Hey, do you want to come over later?" Like Patty Simcox is totally that good girl who is fucking bad. Like she's yeah. that like <laughs> like repressed Catholic girl. Like that's who Patty Simcox is. And like she, there's a good chance that like her and Danny have hooked up, but like Lorenzo Lamas is like, he is that straight laced guy. Like he's just, he's the jock. He's on the football team and Sandy's a cheerleader. And like, he's, yeah, he's, he's a good looking guy. He doesn't seem like. They all just give him a bunch of shit, and like, there's no yeah, point I've in the movie where it's like that. he seems other than just a normal, decent yeah. guy. Like, and I everyone never else understood. Is like, yeah, like
0: why? Why are you coming down on this guy? You see, like, he's super cute. He seems to be motivated. He's on track. He like, like, anyway, he's not so, cool, yes. Anna.
2: He's not cool. Not he doesn't cool. have a leather jacket and smoke. And uh, challenge other gangs to races in the aqueducts of L.A. So that's
0: exactly, why. I that's think, why uh,
1: I think they were all just threatened by Michael.
2: I mean, rightfully so. I mean, yeah. well, but yeah, here's, here's yeah. It.
1: let's let's talk about
2: the T-Birds <laughs> for a little bit too. Like what, like what is their purpose as a gang? Because the only purpose I can see that they had in this movie was that they hated the other guys who are trying to get into the talent show. So like they're a gang obsessed with four part harmony and they hate people who do three part harmony. Like that well, was their motivation. I they guess. also,
1: uh, they also take motorcycle trips to the grocery store to pick up women.
2: Oh yeah. They're always like constantly like trying to get ass from Ralph's or something. Like there's a whole musical number where they explain that is the place to pick up women at. And like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've been to a grocery store recently, but like the people who work the registers there hate their lives. Like those people are not <laughs> down to fuck. Those people are down <laughs> to leave at the end of their shift. Like, so I don't know. I was, re- I was led astray by Greece too. Cause I Did you always, get- I always go to Kroger to try to, you know, get tail <laughs> and it's never worked. Fuck you T-Birds. You lied to me.
1: Do, are you are you greasing up and wearing your leather
0: though when you go in? Because <laughs> it's all about the leather jacket. No, I'm riding in the
2: sidecar like that one T-bird, like the short <laughs> Sean Astin looking T-bird. That's 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 what I'm doing. It's probably why. Which I love that that like there's one like the little T-bird has to ride in the sidecar of fucking Shooter McGavin's motorcycle like that. That was great, but he's just like I actually lo- like two of my favorite characters in this movie though are actually like the younger ones in the gang which is yeah is is actually a really cool dynamic of like one is just this younger guy he's probably like a freshman or whatever he's just short and he just kind of tags along he's almost like their gopher rather than an actual t-bird i mean he rides in a fucking sidecar and then um paulette's sister Mm -hmm. dolores Mm -hmm. played Mm -hmm. by pamela adlon which is Mm -hmm. like again of all the people who moved on from this movie michelle pfeiffer Christopher McDonald, who plays Goose and then would later play Shooter McGavin and be in a bunch of movies like Thelma Louise and JFK. And then you've got Pamela Adlon, who probably other than Michelle Pfeiffer is the most successful person to leave from this movie because she her had an amazing... Her credits
0: are crazy. Yeah. Her voiceover like, work, like, yeah. i
2: just standing in awe of her stuff. Obviously, famously, Bobby Hill. And then she's on Better Things on yeah. FX, which she's fantastic yep. in that show. It's a wonderful show. But she is so adorable as Paulette's little sister, Dolores. And, like, she's funny and she's kind of like you know, there's the great line where she's like, oh, this bra is killing me. And Paulette's like, you wish. I mean, there's some really (laughs) funny kind of lines in this movie like that are actually genuinely laughable, funny moments. And like every, I mean, even though the T-Birds are kind of like a weird group of like, they look like stock characters from like a dinner theater production of Guys and Dolls. That's who I would describe the T-Birds in this movie as. But like, they have these fun moments of like, they're not like, there was a sense of danger to like, you know, um, uh, Jeff Conaway is Kanicki yes. or John Travolta is Danny. Like there was a little like mystery and danger to those guys. Like these guys in this movie are so harmless and they're just like getting into like these like bits of physical comedy and lotsies throughout the day. Like they're not threatening at all. And like in a way that's kind of charming and it's kind of funny. Like, I mean, when the girls do their number at the talent show, like they've made two of them like help out and basically be crew members for their number, mm-hmm. which which is, which is so adorable and so high school of like, all right, you're my boyfriend, so you got to help me out on this. Like, yep. oh, fine, I'll do it. Like, I, I love that. Like there are so many, and maybe that's why I enjoy this movie is because there are some like really very subtle, realistic kind of high school moments in this thing. <laughs> There's not many. I mean, because most of the time they're talking about, you know, singing about bowling or having some, weird um hallucinatory dream about you know your dead biker boyfriend um
1: oh yeah i forgot about
2: but, that but i mean there's just yeah the, but you know there are some really fun genuinely delightful and funny moments in this thing
1: so f- as far as the sidecar guy we we uh called him sidecar bobby i think he in fact was sidecar davy Yep. Yeah, okay. But yeah. I did like that he did have a job. His job was to hop out of that sidecar and help push the bike around <laughs> when he needed to make a tight turn. <laughs> yeah. Like he served a purpose. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that, no, I really like the points that you're bringing up, Casey, because I think that. They're spot on. I feel like the original Grease, and again, this isn't meant to be like a comparison podcast, but just for reference, like I do think that the original Grease certainly makes the I'll call them institutions of the T Birds and the Pink Ladies to be these kind of revered groups that everyone else in the school either like revere, fear, or want to be a part of. Right. And and that is, like, so much of what the original movie is. But I agree with you. I think the second one is more so about just kind of the general high school experience, of course, like, a really heightened reality version of it. But it – and I don't know if that has anything to do – like, you know, you do some research ahead of these podcasts and – I read that the uh, director of this film, Patricia Birch, didn't really have like a completed uh, script for it. And so she kind of just had to like make do with what she had. And I think that that maybe in some ways opened up the door for it to become more of this generalized experience where there's not so much focus on the two groups. And also... I I wonder if that had... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, I was just going to say that... um, What's really interesting about Patricia Birch is that she was like really known more so as a choreographer and Well, she choreographed the-, the first one too. Exactly. Yeah, yep. that's right. And I believe the musical of it too she did. Oh, that's um, right, she did
2: the original cast. Yeah, so she had a long yeah. history with the with the franchise for sure.
0: And I think that that kind of is proven out like in her leaning on her like what she knew how to do best because Yeah. the Dance sequences? I mean, that's something I remarked on. It had been a really long time. They were since they were I,
1: honestly pretty incredible. They were like,
0: incredible. Yeah.
2: yeah, you make a because g- I feel like the the best dance numbers in the first Greece are arguably like they focus mostly on Travolta because Travolta could really fucking move. And like they yeah. wanted to showcase that. But like the background, like dancers are just kind of just there and like they're doing some very basic moves. But like the moves you remember in Greece are like, you know. There's not a lot, even in the last number, you're the one that I want. It's just, there's not a lot of dancing on their part. They're just chasing each other through that weird fun house. But this, you're right, like all of these music, I mean, the movie basically opens up with this giant fucking flash mob. It's crazy. Of them returning to school. And every one of them can dance. Like they're all in, uh, they're all synced up. They're all like, you know, the moves are all very tight. So that's that's actually, she probably did lean into that as saying like, you know what? We're going to make this, you know, this actually a dancing movie because the dancing is very good. It's very enjoyable to watch. It's fun to watch and, yeah. um and everyone knows their shit. So that's, that's actually a really good point. And I think too, probably the reason why they didn't really have a script for the longest time was because they kept trying to get people to be in this one that were from the first one. There's actually, Originally the plan was, you know, Stephanie Zanoni, she works at that like service station at the, mm-hmm. the gas station or whatever and Which
0: I love that she's like kind of a pseudo mechanic. Yeah, like, like she, she works out. Ga- yeah, like, she's working,
2: yeah. like she's trying to save money to get the fuck out of this town where like yep. the only thing to look forward to is being a T bird or a, a pink lady. So like there's a real like ambition there, which is again another feather in Stephanie Zanoni's cap there. But Like the plan was, I think originally at one point was that Sandy and Danny were going to make a cameo and they were going to own the gas station.
1: Nice.
2: But I don't think it could work schedule wise, because at that point, I think Travolta was huge. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Olivia Newton-John was doing a bunch of other stuff (laughs) like Xanadu, I guess. She's getting physical. Um, (laughs) Getting physical. Exactly. That was probably right around the time. So she was. Yeah, she had a gold hit. She had a gold record. So, um. But yeah, I mean, so I think the movie, which is written by actually Ken Finkelman, who wrote another mm-hmm. not so great '80s sequel, Airplane Two. Um,
0: yeah, so it's a very much more, like
1: you know, look, I'm more okay with Airplane Two. I'm not going to hate that one. We get William Shatner. <laughs> it's not, it's not all
2: bad. <laughs> and Bob Goulet, you can't, yeah. yeah, you can't go wrong with that one. Um, but yeah, I think you know they, she, you know, Patricia Birch, like, definitely like stepped up her game as the choreographer in this one, because there are like, I think you remember the songs from Greece more. Mm-hmm. You remember the musical numbers from this one a lot more. And that's what totally agree like. with you.
1: Yep. And uh Nogarelli, that guy could dance his ass off. Yeah. That was
2: actually very impressive. Yeah. Props I mean, to Adrian Zemed, man. Like he, he was a, I think he was a Broadway actor, Broadway performer. And like, he can sing, he can dance. Like, he's, I
0: think he played Danny on Broadway.
2: That makes sense. I, think he's, I read that. Somewhere. He's very much a Danny Zuko type, especially for the yeah. Broadway version, which is a little more like heightened and not mm-hmm. as you know subtle as what Travolta did in the movie. But like, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's a and props to Adrian Zemed. Like, he was a is an incredible performer and per, incredible singer. And like, I think he just you know had a had a string of you know kind of duds in the eighties, but I would say in this movie though, Adrian Zamed, like he, he kills it in this thing. Like he's very, he's funny at times. He's, you know, charming. He plays the part. Right. And, and another cool moment of like, not that I'm touting this movie as some bastion of feminism, but like, you know, he treats <laughs> Paulette, like kind of treats her like shit for the, yes. you know, majority of the movie. Cause he's like, he can't, he's not quite over Stephanie, but like, he wants to hook up with Paulette. And then at the end, Paulette kind of just like, you know, tears into him. It's like, you got to stop treating me like shit. Like I'm not your, you know, I'm not, I'm not just something to be pushed around, not your backup plan and kind of, you know, gives him a what for. And like, he listens to that and accepts it. And it's like, Oh, there's actual change here. Like there's growth. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think like props to Greece too, for kind of addressing that. I think that gets lost amongst all the other things, but I really noticed that watching this the other night, I was like, Oh yeah, she stands up for herself and good for her. And Johnny needs to be, you know, Knocked down a few pegs, so it it kind of um it was a talk that like Danny Zuko never got from anybody in the first. Brief. No, so like you no, kind of treat totally women like right shit, that. yeah, and you kind of like you're kind of a dog. You go like whoever you know feed you, you know. So it's like you you he never got that talking to, and in this one Nagarelli does, and he takes it to heart and he grows from that, which is really kind of cool.
1: I mean, I wonder if that's uh, related to or a byproduct or in some way kind of in line with them flipping the the roles in this movie compared to the first one. You know, it, it makes sense to have that to have that like dressing down moment take place here where we've reversed the roles so that like Michelle Pfeiffer's character is really like the character who's in the position of power over over Michael. So it definitely it feels like that, the pink yeah.
2: ladies have the upper hand in this movie. Mm-hmm. They yeah. definitely like the women have the power in this. Like I felt like the pink ladies, like I felt like I respected them more as a gang or group or whatever you want to call them. than I did the T-Birds. Like the T-Birds say, just seemed like they were yeah. dicking around and like messing around the whole time. Like the, the, the pink Ladies, is like, Oh, they've got their shit together. And like, yes, they mean business. They call the shots. And I was like, that's, that's kind of cool.
1: The T-Birds consist of like, three, maybe four guys and they do not have their shit together and no. they are not intimidating for as <laughs> as good as they can dance. They are not intimidating. And when the other biker gang shows up, their response is just to run. And I don't think that's uh, what you're supposed to do in a gang.
0: <laughs> I mean, exactly. That's they don't certainly... stand a
1: chance against this. No, like, yeah. Because this biker group too, I mean, they cast like Those guys
0: look like
2: fucking grown-ass men, (laughs) hell's angels looking dudes facing off against this like gangly group of four, you know, idiots. And it's like, oh, they don't stand a chance. Whereas in the old Greece, like you're like, okay, Danny's gonna give this guy, you know, the what for. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna beat this guy in the in the drag race or whatever. In this one, I was like, oh, the T-Birds are fucked. Like, this is a legit. (laughs) Motorcycle gang, which which just shows up to the high school like unannounced at all I times. Know. Like, and it's there's no, so ridiculous. There's no issues with it. <laughs> they ruin the weird luau at the end. And, like,
0: yeah, it it's, it's, I mean, I love what you brought up about Adrian's med because I guess I never really put as much thought into his role in this film. But now that I like kind of think about it as a whole, he does a really great job of kind of hitting all these. I mean, this really is like a dramatic way to put it about Greece too, but he hits all these different emotional touchstones because he, like you said, he does have this kind of moment of self-reflection and awareness of how he's been treating Paulette. I think that's pretty incredible, especially for a film like this. And also, you know, given that he has a history with the franchise, I love that he allowed himself to – because, I mean, ostensibly, you could maybe have somebody who's like, well, I'm not going to let this character look like an idiot. And he is very comfortable with kind of this self-deprecating humor And he physically is like a great comedic actor, but then also can absolutely hold his own with all of the dance numbers. Like he actually does quite a lot in this movie. Bowling
1: alley, yeah. He just he does a lot,
0: and no, he's
1: killing it in this thing. Yeah, and
0: and he, you know, and it
2: is like it's it's this, you know, hidden deep within this movie is an actually kind of a, a story about inclusion. In a Mm -hmm. way, like, (laughs) it's so weird I'm saying that about Grease fucking too, but like, you know, (laughs) like in the other one, all they did was pick on Eugene, but in this one, like the girls are working with him on the show, like he's helping Mm -hmm. them out with their song number, and at the end, Johnny's like, you know, like, he admits he's wrong, and he's like, I misjudged you, like, you're not just this, like, nerd, like, clearly you- you know you have other interests, you learn how to ride a motorcycle like you can be i mean again, like you know we're we're essentially cheering the fact that a straight A student from overseas exchange student comes to America and we cheer him on because he joins a gang but <laughs> um but the, it's the it's the gesture you know of like him becoming at bird and they're like, you know, you're a part of this now too like and even a nerd can become at bird, which is actually like a cool kind of lesson hidden in this weird. Hybrid 80s, you know, crazy, uneven (laughs) musical movie.
0: No, you're right. And I think uh, I really like the point you made about Eugene in particular, because he is 100% the the only reason why he's in the original film is to be the butt of jokes. Like he gets a pie in the face and he gets tripped and he like that is all he's there for. And in this film, you know, I don't know if necessarily his return was necessary, but um, I'll just use that twice. But, uh, you know, in him for him being there, like you said, he's not meant to be the butt of jokes. He actually is like working, like you said, with the pink ladies. And when he is shown on camera, it's not really to make fun of him. And I really appreciate that.
2: No, not at all. Like they. um Yeah. They yeah, they yeah, they do a good job of like you know um like the, the people who really kind of get like picked on by the T birds are like the like the fratty white kind oh. of like you know douchebag right. acapella the guys group, who which,
0: harmonize really good which we have <laughs>
2: learned in recent years <laughs> through all the like you know these these college scandals like when you hear of all these awful cases of happening like of abuse and rape and things like that it's always those fucking assholes who are the ones who do it so like in a way it's like yeah Greece too it's like yeah go after those guys go after the preppy fratty you know fuckers like that like I'm projecting onto this movie clearly but like those are the only people who get it and like and they can stand it they can they can they can be knocked down a peg or two they're not picking on like okay nerd you know get out of here or something like that you know and they're not the only punching re- down exactly and the only reason they do it to michael carrington is because it's part of the plot you know and like like aside from the fact that like this guy is an adonis like i clearly have some uh, uh deep uh hidden attraction to <laughs> maxwell <laughs> Which is only well, furthered by his appearance as Rex Manning in Empire Records. But um, I, which, no, kudos it's, to it's, that guy for being in two cold movies. Like, that's, that's a cool thing right there.
0: That's actually a perfect segue. Because we've talked about, like, the character of Michael. But I'm really curious how you felt about Maxwell Caulfield's, like, performance as Michael. Like, because especially now that we've talked about Stephanie and Johnny and just the way that they're developed characters I mean, I guess I'm in a way asking kind of a leading question, but do you feel like the same was given to Michael as – and Maxwell's given top billing in this film. So yeah, how he, do you feel about him?
2: I think the, the, little, the little I know about Maxwell Caulfield as an actor is that I know he's a very pretty respected uh, stage actor, and he does a lot of mm. theater in New York and London, and funny enough, he's actually married to Haley Mills' sister. Which is a weird little oh, bit of trivia. Okay, yeah. and his wife. I think he met her when he was in his early twenties, and she was in her forties. So there's okay. like a no little, way. Oh yeah, wow. there's a little bit of yeah, yeah. The cougar went after uh, Michael Carrington, okay. for sure. Um, but you know he's a very respected uh, stage actor, and like I think he's in this mo- This was his first movie, obviously, and you and you can kind of you don't he he didn't really do much. It, well, he was on, I think he was on Dynasty or a spin-off of Dynasty on TV in the 80s, which I've not seen many episodes of that. This movie, he feels a little green in, though. I don't think he was ready. Like, you mm-hmm. watch this movie and you realize, like, oh, Michelle Pfeiffer is going to be a fucking star. You mm-hmm. get it. You're like, she is interesting to watch. She's making choices. She's smart. She's natural. She's beautiful. Like, you can see, like, oh, Michelle Pfeiffer, she's going to become a star. Even ignoring the fact that we know she's a star now, but, like, you see it in this movie. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, she's got star quality. Like when you watch one of those movies, you know, where someone like, you know, before they were big was in and you're like, oh, you can even see it in this. You can kind of see, you know, the beginnings of this
1: amazing career they're going to have. When we saw Steve Buscemi in Parting Glances, that's basically (laughs) how I felt.
0: Yeah, it's that's probably one of the uh, more kind of obscure films that we've covered. But I'm so... Have you ever seen that, Casey? Parting Glances? I don't think I
2: have. No. That's... It's...
0: uh, It's a great, it's a great film. Yeah. Um, Bill Sherwood, it was his first and only film that he, uh, feature that he made before he passed away um, too, too young, but it is Steve, one of Steve Buscemi's earliest performances and it's very much the same vibe where, Mm -hmm. sure, you can't 100% uh, disregard just what, you already know about this actor in 2022, but you can see even back then you're like, Oh yeah. Like this guy was going to do great things. Undeniable talent coming through. So
2: did you ever ever see the movie? There's a movie called camp, Uh, excuse me, camp it call. It came out back in like 2001 or two. And it's about like a musical theater summer camp for kind of like outcast kids and things like that. And It's not a great movie. Like a lot of the actors in there are very green and not quite ready to be on film. But one of the actors in it is a very young Anna Kendrick.
0: Oh, okay.
2: And I remember seeing that movie when it first came out and was like, oh my God, she is good. I don't know who that is or who she is, but like she is good. And it was one of those rare instances where you see somebody and you kind of feel like you discovered that person. And like, as you see their career blossom, you're like, of course, because they were that they they were amazing in this thing that's not such a great project. But like, you just see that star quality. And so, like, definitely it's um, I definitely saw that with Anna Kendrick. And then obviously she's had an incredible career, uh, you know, since then. So it was it was one of those things. So it's like, I think you saw that in parting glances. And then we definitely saw mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. in um in greece 2 with michelle pfeiffer but maxwell caulfield like i think he's a little green for this movie like i get why they cast him like he yeah. looks great like his you know he's he he pulls off the look he can kind of play that like bookish but cute guy but then also like when he's in the leather motorcycle gear he looks cool as hell but like it's just the acting and the and the certainly the singing the singing is not great
1: mm-hmm. at all yeah um, <laughs> yeah that
2: is, that's fair it's pretty unremarkable so it's, you know, and even him and Michelle's chemistry is, like, mm-hmm. is not great. Mm-hmm. You're not, like, dying to see them, you know, hook up. Like, I would honestly does- rather see Tab Hunter and Connie Stevens, yeah. like, fuck, than I would Michelle yes. Pfeiffer and Mike <laughs> Maxwell Caulfield. Fuck.
0: I think Michelle Pfeiffer does everything she can on her end to sell it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And She's doing all the
2: heavy lifting, for sure.
0: Exactly. And when he's in his, like cool writer mode and she doesn't it's the whole Clark Kent thing she doesn't know who he is even though he's just wearing goggles but um,
2: (laughs) I mean it's pretty indicative that like the the moments where he's the coolest is where he doesn't speak and he's hiding exactly he's in basically a Batman outfit So that's exactly what I was going
0: towards yeah Yeah. that
2: kind of yeah that that sums it all up right there
0: I
1: would be remiss if I allowed this podcast to continue (laughs) without getting back to the track. And in particular, I mean that track practicing and to be more specific, I mean, how did they not catch that guy's junk just dropping out of his shorts?
2: All right, so for those, the, the, for those who don't know about this iconic scene from Grease 2, in my mind, the most iconic scene from Grease 2, there's a moment Maybe where- Maybe of all
0: time. All, all,
2: in, in all cinematic history. In there's all cinema. There's uh, Judy Garland's shoes from Wizard of Oz, there's the sled from Rose uh, Citizen Kane, and then exactly. there's this random extras balls in Grease 2. So I don't even this- know if
1: it's – is it just one testicle? Is it both? I don't know. I don't know. Little-
2: <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't zoom in enough when we paused it the other night. But there's a scene in Greece too where Michael Carrington is like – I think it's gym class or I don't know. Like the, There's a band performing on the field and Michael is running around the track for track practice.
1: Yeah. And then
2: he's you know uh, cornered by the two like cheerleaders, um, which – why weren't more people after the twin cheerleaders in this movie again, too? It's like, there's all of these, there are all these like, you know, just, just amazing sexual traps. And everyone's like, Nope, Nagarelli, the guy who looks 38 (laughs) years old. Exactly. Let's go after him. Um, but as Michael's running around the track, there is an extra who runs by him and he, um, he jumps over one of those, uh, what are they called? Hurdles. Hurdles. Yeah. In the, on the track. And as he does, so, um, uh, a certain uh, uh, body part falls out of his shorts and it's uh, it's it's terribly noticeable. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. And it's still in the film. And it's one of those. like,
1: <laughs> I mean, it's one I've of been- those
2: hidden gems in a movie where you're like, oh, my God, that's crazy. I can't believe that happened. And yeah, it's like the you know, it's like the live action version of all that weird Disney animation shit they put in the movies. Exactly. In the early 90s where, yeah. There's all this like Someone sexual innuendo it. stuff.
0: I've been it's holding hurt. back yeah, on so- laughing as you were so eloquently describing the scene and <sighs> when we were watching it the other night and you pa- I was laughing so hard my chest hurt because I had no idea that this <laughs> was in the film <laughs>
2: We to, just went- I think we paused the movie for a good like five minutes because you were yeah. laughing so hard. And and the worst part was is that it was paused on the moment when it happens. Yeah. So Perfect as you as you stopped laughing, you'd look back at the screen and you'd see <laughs> this guy, you know, hanging brain right there on the screen, and like
1: he- I think he knew. <laughs> I think he knew because you see the expression he, on oh, his face. Oh, he
0: totally knew. He adjusted himself. He like yeah. kind of like was like, "Uh-oh." But yeah,
1: you see the moment on his face where he knows that it happened and and that was captured in the pause as well, which was honestly Can we can we,
2: can we get him on the podcast? If I hunt exactly. him down, I want to find That's out fine. like
0: poor, You're poor the gentleman. guy
2: whose balls fell out of his shorts <laughs> in this scene in Grease 2. Like which- Yeah.
0: (laughs) I'm not endowed with that genitalia, but it looks painful for that to have I mean those shorts
2: look painful to begin with. Like they're everyone's wearing these like tight shorts and like I mean athletic (laughs) equipment back in that time period just looked awful (laughs) because you're in these tight shorts, you're playing basketball or any kind of sport in like
0: uh, no room to breathe um,
2: in, 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 uh, in Chucks, you know, like, and which have the least support of any shoe on the planet. They're cool looking uh, shoes, <laughs> but like they have no support. And like, so of course, like it's, it's like his, the, the balls became sentient. They're like, get me out of here. Like the weird kind of, you know, <laughs> creature in total uh... recall that tells, you know, Schwarzenegger to start the reactor. Like that's what that moment became. I will say
1: one thing in defense of the chucks is that the chucks that they wore on the basketball court are not the same chucks that we would have now. And they actually created a separate line of chucks called like the classic chucks, which have more (laughs) cushion than the current chucks. So it's not crazy, but look, they, they weren't like modern sneakers. Anyways, also that guy's balls totally (laughs) dropped out.
2: Also for clarification, um, this, uh, um, This podcast is not paid for by Converse. I just want to make that clear. (laughs)
1: Or or Nike, who owns Converse, but neither one of them. Or Testicles, for that matter.
0: I mean, thank you, Derek, for bringing us on track um, and bringing up what is probably the most infamous (laughs) moment of that film that I never knew existed before two nights ago. I don't know
2: where I... I, I, I honestly can't even remember where I heard it from like it must have happened at some point in college when we were watching this with a group of people and somebody had heard about it somewhere it's one of those you know urban legend things that happen in movies like I always think about the three men and a little baby there was a rumor it's like in one yes. scene it's a ghost and then it's like no it's just a cardboard cut out of a dancing. Yeah. But like when you're a kid you're this like, is Fuck, a, real a ghost in it oh my god no this is not a ghost <laughs> testicle this is a very living breathing testicle right there
1: up on the silver breathing screen. right on screen right there for you to see yep
0: yeah. um well i mean i guess that's like a good place to ra- <laughs> wrap up
2: it's the best place to wrap it up <laughs> where do you go from there you can't top i don't know the, the testicle tease that happened in uh greece too. it just you can't so
0: i mean it i think it is indicative of In a way, just like this, this film is outrageous. It's, it really is so much fun. I mean, like I mentioned, it had been a minute since I'd seen it. And so like, I had these like weird recalls as we were watching it together. Um, Derek, I mean, you had never seen it. I
1: had never seen it. And I really allowed myself to be immersed in this nonsensical world (laughs) and I really had a great time. It was really fun. Yeah,
0: it was, it was really fun. I mean, of course we had a wonderful company with us and you know, we knew that we were going to be doing this podcast on it, but it really like I was speaking about this the other day, just in terms of I love nothing more than a film that just brings joy it could be yes. silly and stupid and whatever. I don't care. If it makes me happy and it makes me laugh, that to it's me, a it's a great film. Yeah. I yeah.
2: wholeheartedly agree. And Grease 2 is totally that. And like, it's such a fun movie to like, it's it's not a movie that like, I don't think I ever have or ever will like just watch on my own. It's not something where I'm like sick at home one day. I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch Grease 2. Like, it has to be watched <laughs> with a group. Like, it has mm-hmm. to be watched. I think they did a screening of it. Uh, like four or five years ago at the Hollywood Bowl and it was packed and like I think you can find like clips of it on YouTube and everyone is just like cheering and laughing and like just losing their minds at it because it is it is a group experience like it is like Grease 2 is very much a cult movie and I feel like I said earlier like there are fans of the original Grease for sure people who love that movie or grew up with that movie but like when you meet real fans of Grease 2 they are like they are quite fervent in their fandom for this particular <laughs> film because like i would say even more hardcore than the original Grease because there's just something joyous about it in the same way as like watching rocky horror with a group of people yep. or reefer madness or any of the like the um the john waters 70s films with divine or, or the room which is a more recent one like there's just something fun about like and it's not a mean movie at all. Like it's a pretty no. tame movie. Like there's not any kind of like meanness in this thing. Like there's not like it's, it's a very light film. Like, I mean, aside from mm-hmm. the, like, you know, the sexual innuendo stuff, like this is probably a tamer movie than the first grease in a lot of ways. Yeah.
1: yeah. And
2: it's, it's, it's goofy. It's stupid. Like, but the songs have a good beat. The dance numbers are fun. Like, it's, it's a movie that, like, I'm, as I'm talking about it now, I'm like, I can't wait to watch it again with a group of friends, like, over, you know, a couple drinks and just laugh at this thing and love this thing. And I think that's why it's something that I keep returning to. And, like, when you meet people who have had the same experience with this movie, like, there's, like, there's, like, a, um you know, you you have, like, a, a, a common bond there. Because you're like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great. Because a lot of people, like. I think have seen it, saw it at a different point in their life, probably rented it at home and watched them by themselves. Like, Oh, this is so stupid. This is bad. But it's like to appreciate this movie, it has to be done, which I'm so glad. Like, and I feel honored too, of being like the first podcast <laughs> guest of you guys to actually watch the movie with you, which I think, yeah. of, and I think oh, about oh, it in God. hindsight, I'm so glad we did it this way. Cause had, we watched it separately. I don't think we would be talking about it as fondly as we are on this podcast today, because it would have been, probably a very different experience i mean i'm sure you guys would have had a fun time watching it but it made it even better that we watched it and most of all i was able to freeze frame the guy uh (laughs) flashing rat (laughs) gut there on the screen on the track
1: for sure we're missing the balls if we don't watch it
0: together oh my
2: god i bring a lot to i bring a lot to movie going experiences the least of which is finding you know
0: the ball shots little testicle pieces on uh, the screen (laughs)
1: When, when we when we publish this episode, we'll have to uh, share the timestamp. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, we
2: should yes. definitely. Yeah, that should be in the like. Can you put that?
1: You in
0: the show put, notes. Put
2: that, in, put that in my guest bio. Just like, yes. oh, by the way, the balls are shown at this time code number. Perfect.
0: I think I think it's honestly only fair that we do that because anybody who might be listening are like, okay, well, where is this shot? I, I know. It's it's so people are yeah, going to stop go listening
2: to this and like go to their... Go find Grease 2 online and be like, okay, where is this? They're gonna hunt it down, like trying to like some fucking scene from Zodiac where they're just looking frantically for this scene.
0: (laughs) But I think you you really so beautifully, I think, encapsulate encapsulated what this film is about and the way that it is best enjoyed and what it can bring to us. I mean, I'm not gonna go long on my soapbox, but again, I just love movies like this for just really the purpose being to make people happy. And I think you really beautifully said why it works that way. So Casey, we just have had so much. I mean, first of all, it was so much fun to get to watch this with you and it was just as much fun to talk about it with you. And even with a film like this, like it always happens where we find kind of these like deeper meanings, you know, when you were talking about kind of the way in which feminism kind of presents itself through it and it just, it's, I always just love that about having these chats with our guests.
2: I have honestly been I mean, I I've been looking forward to coming back on this podcast since I did it with I, I think I was one of the OGs. I did one of the first few episodes with Back to yep, the Future, yeah. which was so much fun. And I i mean, I could we could do nine hours on Back to the Future because that movie is just so fantastic. But um, once, you know, we kind of reconnected and I I think forcefully claimed Grease 2, I said, if you haven't done it yet. <laughs> Let me Talk do it, and I think you even told me that like another guest was like, "Hey, have you done Greece two yet? Can I claim that?" You are like, "Nope, someone has uh, someone someone has
0: laid claim exactly." <laughs> but
2: since we discussed this a couple months ago, like I have been so looking forward to not only watching it. Uh, watching it again. But I, the fact I got to watch it with you guys and then discuss it with you guys uh, on this podcast has just been a real treat for me. It's always a treat to talk to you guys. Always fun mm-hmm. to just hang out and talk movies and talk life and all that good stuff. But when it's something as ridiculous and as joyous mm-hmm. as Grease 2, it, it's it's literally the cherry on top of the friendship right there. I'll say that.
0: I feel exactly the same way. Um, I know Derek does as well. And, you know, at the top of our conversation, I was speaking to just all the really cool, awesome stuff you get to do in your work. And so I was wondering if you wanted to share with our listeners what you might have going on right now.
2: Uh, Yeah, actually, um, you've probably um, for the last two or three years, I've been the voice of NBA TV for all their promos and uh, teasers and things like that, as well as the promos and teasers for the NBA on TNT. Um, And then most recently, as of last fall, I've been a regular contributor to the Cold Comedy Opens for The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, which has been both um, steady, amazing work and also (laughs) like kind of a dream job of being able to work for one of your comedy icons. Um, Hopefully in the next uh, month or so, I'm going to be able to fly out and see the show and meet everybody who works on it. Oh, that's so um, cool. Which is just going to be such a like you know, there, there's, there's moments that happen out here in LA. And obviously this is a town where, you know, it can, it can, you know, you can kind of get down on yourself a lot of times because things aren't mm-hmm. happening quick enough and they're not happening how You like should, but like this job has definitely been one of those moments where it's like, Hey, I'm telling my 12 year old self. That's like, I'm basically doing comedy oh. on a weekly basis with, you know, one of your comedy icons. Like it's such a cool thing to do. And I'm so grateful to be able to do it. And Um, yeah, just a lot of voiceover work, um, on camera commercials are starting to come back. I'm shooting one Mm -hmm. later this week. Um, yeah, just it's, I think things are starting to kind of slowly come back. Voiceover has been a great gig, um,
0: during the pandemic because I I do
2: it from home. And so that was, um, you know, a a wonderful outlet to have because so many of our friends who work in the industry, you know, their, their job, their jobs just disappeared, went away. So I think all that stuff is starting to come back, especially live performances, concerts things like that but um the voiceover is i i really love doing it i love um it's it's kind of a a great dream job and it's led to some cool stuff like the colbert show and the nba and i got to do a voice on the uh cold war call of duty game a couple years ago so that was super fun too and it's it's just I, i like it because every day is something different i mean one day you're doing late show with colbert and the next day you're doing some industrial supply company in the middle of Kansas city.
0: (laughs) So it's like, it's, (laughs) it's, you know, it's,
2: it's, it's, it's about balance. It's about balance. An honest
0: day's work. Exactly.
2: Exactly. That, that, that money is just as good as from anywhere else. So, um, but yeah, Well, that I, just
0: speaks to, I think, how, first of all, amazingly talented you are, but then just how easy you are to work with. I mean, I know that you're our friend, but I think that that comes through in just how personable you are, you know, how much joy you take in, you know, working with others and your strong work ethic. I mean, it's amazing to hear all the different, like, really cool things that you get to do.
2: I I give all the credit to my family and my kind of Midwest upbringing. And Mm -hmm. last but certainly not least, that guy's balls in Greece, too.
0: (laughs) Well, perfect way to uh, to end this lovely chat. So, Casey, (laughs) thank you again for being on the show. Certainly. I know without a doubt we will have you back in the future. Oh, my God. I can't wait. All right. That was amazing because we love Casey and he's the best and thank you Casey for coming back to the show
1: yeah thank you for inviting us to watch the film with you yeah. that was super fun and I'm still like kind of on the fence between it was super hilarious to see some of the things you pointed out but also <laughs> I don't know I don't know did I want to see it maybe it was hilarious <laughs> so i had to i had to see it perfect what you told me. perfect
0: segue yeah to my question oh of would you watch this film again
1: oh i thought you were gonna ask me a very different question about running on tracks and shorts mm, no, no no okay would i watch it again <laughs> um so of all the movies that we watch, i don't really know how i would find this like i don't think grease 2 is just randomly on tv very often is it
0: that's a great question. Mm, I feel like if I'm scrolling, I'm more apt to see the original.
1: Yeah, that that's I think the the thing. I,
0: and in fact, I know I have. Like, I know I've like been like, oh, and then I've just. I've probably it. seen yeah. like
1: I have seen parts of this. Like, I knew that there was a second Grease movie, so they must have it on occasionally. If it's on, I I'm not going to like run away from it. But <laughs> okay, <you know. laughs> I'm not going to hop out a window to get away from it, but. Yeah, I'd I'd watch it again.
0: I think it's a perfect Saturday afternoon movie. Like if you're just like chilling and yeah, you just or if you have more familiarity with it, it's it's a very visually um, appealing film because of like the choreography. Like it's actually very impressive what Patricia Birch accomplished as much flack as the film might get for not being like, whatever, a quality, fi- I, whatever you want to say about it. It's really amazing what she was able to put together. I mean, I think I read somewhere that there are like 500 cast members between, you know, everybody that they pulled in for those musical numbers. I think the
1: things that it sets out to do, it does really well. Mm-hmm. And like, if you want to fault it for not being this or that. I don't think it's trying to I, th- I think it's, it's just its trying to be thing. like yeah it's just it's just trying to be like a fun musical based you know w- like working from that first movie uh so yeah I would say it is a great Thursday Thursday night movie
0: <laughs> Thursday night movie yeah when we were talking with Casey and you know I made a point of saying like oh I wonder if you really even need to see the original Grease to understand this one yeah I mean, you guys both brought up good points in terms of like the connective tissue and and just kind of understanding the dynamic of the school yeah. and the pink ladies and the T birds. Not for
1: a plot, but just to understand like the world that was built. Yeah. That this is like piggybacking
0: from. And that's that's totally fair. I think you absolutely get more out of Greece too if you know what that world already is. But I do think it's like very much its own thing. Um, so that's why I didn't even really go into like the returning characters that much because they really play no role.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. An interesting question because like, no, the story doesn't really build off it much. But if you never watched the first one and you watch this, I do think you you would, um, be like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What is happening? But if you see the first one, it's kind of funny because like the differences, like are just kind of like part of the fun Mm -hmm. so that yeah i think that's i think it helped is there there is no grease three is there there, they never finished the grease trilogy
0: (laughs) no not to my knowledge that's a shame uh so call to action
1: yeah it's how do you do you say see me or semi valley, right
0: (laughs) so that's your call to action do you say how do you say it semi or (laughs) semi-valley (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's that's mine yeah
0: i mean this one is interesting because there is this like world to this franchise and the way that people perceive the original versus the sequel i mean i'm i i really am curious what people's preferences are i don't like to really pit movies against each other but there's such like Casey is such a beloved fan of the sequel I wonder you know is there a more is it a more vocal minority I don't know of people who love Grease 2 versus the original I don't really know anybody if you're talking about the original Mm -hmm. I don't really know anybody who's like oh my god I love that movie but Casey included, I do know a couple people who with Grease 2 are like, oh my god, I love that movie. In fact... That's that's completely fair. Yeah. yeah. I think that's right. We have a guest coming up in the future who asked about Grease 2 because that also happens to be one of her favorite movies. Yeah. So yeah, I'm putting it out there. What do you guys prefer? Are you more of a fan of the sequel or the original? And if you want to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you. You can reach out through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. It's the same handle for all three, which is at 80s Montage Pod. And 80s is 80S. It sure is. (laughs) So sneak peek. Yeah. Well, I... Okay, so here's the thing. Uh I have not seen this movie before. What? This is going to be a hard one because I haven't seen it before and you love this movie.
1: Oh, is it no, it can't be uh it can't be the Highlander, is it? It
0: sure is. is. It really? Yeah. I, was,
1: I, I knew that was coming up. I, I didn't realize that was uh coming up next. So
0: I'm very yeah. excited because I know like that movie has somehow found its way into the conversation on other episodes. I know you love it. And so when our guest brought it up, I was like, holy cow, this is gonna be amazing. I feel like this might Finally. actually be another Transformers the movie because I'm going to be the odd person out.
1: It almost certainly is going to be similar to that. But which, which is
0: fine. I'm happy to sit back and just listen to you two have a
1: have a conversation. I think Transformers might have it beat on the music, but Okay. You know, for, for live action it's 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 funny that uh, a movie whose catchphrase is there conveniently one had like multiple sequels in a TV series. <laughs>
0: So I'm super excited. We'll have a great guest as always. And in the meantime, thanks so much for hanging with us. And we will talk to you in two weeks time.